Good morning, I'm Mike Bowles. I've been married to my wife, Sherry, for next month. It'll be 20 years. We have been blessed with three awesome kids, JJ 19, Mason 17, and Kaya 13. We are covenant members and have been attending Cross Point for 16 years now. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 19 in the ESV translation. Let's hear God's word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like the bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also the honey than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word that we, as his people, are able to study this morning. But before we do that, would you go to God in prayer with me? Father, we come to you this morning as people who are desperately in need of hearing your voice this morning. And we have gathered not to hear my voice. And we have gathered not simply to fellowship, though that is an act of worship. We have gathered to hear your voice, to open your word, and to hear you speak through it. And so, God, I pray that you would speak into the everyday occurrences of our lives as we open your word. Those things that have happened this past week that are a distraction, that have deterred us from worshiping you in all of life, that you would reveal those and that we would turn in repentance and faith back to you. And that you, through your word this morning, would show us the power of your word every single day. That we don't just open your word here on Sundays, but we live each and every day with this word resonating in our lives as we open it, as we memorize it, as we speak it to one another. God, that this word would do the work that you have called it to do and it would not return void unto you. 
And so God, may we be hearers of your word. And then may we be doers this week for your glory and the joy of all people in you and in you alone. In your name, amen. Well, it's great to be back with you uh, today. Uh, I did bring my whole family uh, this, this Sunday, and so if you uh, want to get a chance to meet them, they're sitting over there. I won't introduce all of them at this time because that embarrasses them, and even the fact that I'm telling you that they're there uh, embarrasses them. Uh, but it's great to be back. I do have a little bit of a conflict in that uh, the Daves that I have grown to know and love over the last few years haven't been here both times. Now, I know Dave Steinbeck is on uh, sabbatical, but Dave Wolf, I'm going to have to uh, give it to him in that each and every time I've been here this summer, he has decided to go on vacation. Um, <laughs> don't know what that's about, uh, eh, but I'll forgive him for it. Psalm 19 uh, is our text this morning, as we have just heard it read. Uh, and I pray, uh, it's been my prayer throughout this week, that God would use his word in the everyday lives and occurrences of our lives uh, that happen, and that, again, uh, as I prayed, it would not return void to him. Did any of you have just one of those days this week? You know what I'm talking about, right? One of those days. I mean, we've all been there. Some of us have bought that T-shirt, and we wear it often because those days come up over and over again. You know those days that it just starts off bad for some reason, uh, and then it just continues to roll downhill and roll, roll, roll downhill. Well, I think one of the best children's books that is out there, and I know some of you children might argue with me, but I think one of the best ones is not about Gerald the giraffe dancing, nor is it the one about Goodnight Moon, uh, where we just say goodnight to everything in the room, but I think the best book out there is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Anybody agree with me? All right, some of the kids, they're, they're shaking their heads. They, they know what that story is all about. If you haven't read the book, here's the basic gist. From the moment Alexander wakes up, his day is horrible, terrible, no good. It's a very bad day. The chewing gum that was in his mouth last night somehow has ended up in his hair. Immediately, I have questions about the parenting that's going on in this house, but you can tell immediately that this is going to be a bad day. He trips on the skateboard and drops his sweater in the sink while the water is running. At the table for breakfast, his brothers Nick and Anthony, they find prizes in their cereal boxes, but as for Alexander, he only finds the cereal. And from then on, the day doesn't get any better. In fact, later on that day, he has lima beans for dinner, which we can all say yuck to. His bath time is horrible. The water's too hot. He gets soap in his eyes. His marble that, again, he took into the bathtub goes down the drain. But worst of all, he's forced to wear his railroad train PJs, which he hates. I mean, this is certainly a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But the reason I love that book is because it's reality, right? All of you as parents have probably lived in one of those days over the maybe even the last week. We've all had terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Sometimes we wake up and it's nine o'clock. We look at the, our watch and we want to do over already. All right, can we start this day over? Maybe by lunchtime, we're so depressed on what's going on that we just want to find a gallon of ice cream and binge watch Netflix for the rest, rest, rest of the day, as if that would actually make life any better. Life is messy, isn't it? Life is hard and grimy. 
It's not always as the hymn writer has written. It's not always sweeter than the day before because we feel the pain of the brokenness of our world. If everything was just grand and glorious, verse 7 here in Psalm 19 wouldn't be true, would it? We wouldn't need to be revived, renewed, and restored. But as John Piper points out, the normal Christian life is a repeated process of restoration and renewal. Our joy is not static, he writes. It fluctuates with real life, which is exactly what David, who is the author of this psalm, knows. You see, David has had those horrible, terrible, very bad days too. There are days when he knows his soul needs reviving, when it needs to be restored. As a matter of fact, as you read throughout the psalms, you'll see this idea come up over and over again throughout the Psalms, this idea of reviving and restoration. David knows what it's like to be in hopeless and helpless situations. He knows the bad days of life, and yet the good news is he also knows the source of restoration, the source of reviving. And so here, in what C.S. Lewis calls the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world, David guides us and guides our thoughts on life through the lens of an awe-filling description of the heavens and God's gracious instruction in his word. And he does this in order to personally align our lives with God's goodwill and his pleasure for us. You see, it's here in this psalm that we begin to understand that these psalms are more than just songs that were written many, many years ago. And not just songs that the children of Israel would sing thousands of years ago. No, these psalms are how God lovingly and graciously whispers in our ears today. In those terrible, very bad days, hey child, I've got you. Come closer. Listen to my voice. Let me revive your soul and let me give you fresh joy. See, it's here in Psalm 19 that we come to find this striking truth. The Word of God revives the weary soul, creating an enduring joy in Him. The Word of God is what revives the weary soul, and it creates this enduring, lasting joy in Him. You see, while it might be our tendency here in life to find friends to tell all about our horrible, terrible, no, uh, no good, very bad days, We might look for earthly means to find some sort of support. The truth is there's only one thing that can cure the weary soul. There's only one thing that can truly restore our soul, and that is God's voice. For just like a child who has fallen off his bike or who awakens by a a startled nightmare, in both cases that child runs to his father and pleads for comfort, whether he's in pain or fear, so is, so we find here in God's word the tender voice of our Heavenly Father who assures us, who says, I've got you. And he revives our weary soul. He ignites within us an enduring joy and a resolved hope for the days ahead. And so here in this psalm this morning, we're going to see three things. If you're taking notes, kids, you can write these things down, ask your parents uh, to help you with this. We're going to see the nature of the Word, the nature of the Word. We're going to see the work of the Word, 
and the effect of the word. Here, David shows us the nature, work, and effect of the word. Let's begin by looking at the nature of the word. Having exalted in the revelation of God through nature, in the first six verses here in Psalm 19, David now in verse 7, which is going to be where our focus is at this morning, somewhat abruptly shifts his focus to God's revelation of himself more perfectly through his inspired word. You see, as amazing as the heavens are in all their splendor and beauty, as amazing as creation is, the truth is the revelation of God in Scripture is far, far better. It's here that God reveals for us most plainly how he will redeem us from our exchange of glory and welcomes us into becoming partners and partakers of that glory through Jesus Christ. You see, this shift in focus that David is making here from verse 6 to 7 is not at all unintentional or accidental, but he's quite purposeful in this shift here. He's leading the singer to celebrate God's law as his supreme revelation, not just of truths that are good for us, but most importantly of himself, of God himself, for it's the word that reflects who God is himself, his very nature. And so David explains here, the law of the Lord is perfect. As is the case throughout the Psalms, this phrase refers not merely to the law of Moses given on Mount Sinai, but to all of God's word, his revealed will, and note here how in verse 7, the psalmist has begun this psalm with the generic name of God. And you can look back in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's the Hebrew name El. But now he uses a more personal name. Notice in verse 7, that word Lord is in all capitals. Again, that is the Hebrew name Yahweh and would immediately bring up into mind of those who were singing and were hearing this psalm the covenant name that God spoke through that burning bush to Moses that I am, and I am going to be with you always. He's using this personal name here to remind the people of God's covenant and how he has revealed himself through his covenant to be their God. It's Yahweh's word then that is perfect, that is flawless or whole. It's complete. It's without any blemish. His word is without slightest defect. And why? Well, because this is God's word. God himself is perfect. He's without flaw. He's without any blemish. He is complete, without the slightest defect. Therefore, based on his perfection, the psalmist can then continue on in verse 7 to say the testimony of the Lord, again, Yahweh, is sure, making wise the simple. The term here, testimony, is used again to declare and emphasize the, emphasize the covenant declaration of God that he has made with his people, and that it is firm. His testimony is sure it's confirmed. And we often hear that, that phrase thrown around about a man being a man of his word. A couple years ago, it was used in the title of a documentary on Pope Francis, who had promised to spread peace throughout the world, and everybody said he's a man of his word. We often hear it used in the athletic arena uh, where a player will say, hey, we are going to win. I am a man of my word, and I promise you we're going to win. And now in either one of those cases, 
I don't think any of us have full confidence in those individuals, that they're either going to win for sure or bring peace to the world. However, with God, it's different. For God is always a man of his word. And his word is sure, it's, it's trustworthy. We can count on it. The psalmist continues, the precepts of the Lord are right. His orders and instructions guide us in the correct direction. In Psalm 1, we see this played out as the blessed man follows the precepts of the Lord, and that brings him, it guides him on the path of righteousness, and he prospers, the psalmist tells us. For God's rules and his directions are, are never wrong. He has no need to correct himself. The commandment of the Lord is pure. This word pure here may also be rendered radiant. The commandment of the Lord is radiant, and as such, it, it connects the sun imagery of verses 4 through 6. It leads one author to conclude God's commandments shine and shimmer. They glow and glimmer. They are brilliant and bright and dispel the darkness of human ignorance and senseless advice. And so while we in our fallenness might often bristle at this idea of commandments or rules, and thinking that rules are usually just given to keep us from something. They squelch our, our freedom and, and enjoyment. The commandments of God are not so. Oh, God is not a killjoy. He's not out to make our lives miserable. No, God has an end for us to prosper and to find delight in Him. The rules of the Lord are, are true, the psalmist says here. They're righteous altogether. That is, they're dependable. They're principled. God's Word is never unfair, nor it is ever flawed. Again, for some of you kids here this morning, I'm sure at some point you've heard a rule, maybe it's in your house, maybe it's at school, that you thought that was unfair. Maybe you've even said that back to your parents. Any of you said that? I know I could look over at my family and I've heard that before. That's unfair. Like, you know that rule, ladies going before men? I mean, what's with that? That's totally unfair, right guys? No, I'm just joking about that one. We all have these rules that come up into our mind that we think are unfair. They're just not right. However, every single time we come to God's word, we know it's, out, it's without flaw. It's dependable. It's always right. It is true. This is the nature of God, and it's the nature of his words that he speaks. They're perfect, sure, right, pure, true, and righteous. Yet the psalmist doesn't just stop with these truths about God's Word. For the Word of God is, is not simply a book to be studied for more knowledge. No, it's a book to be applied for our joy in Him. And so we see that the Word does a certain work. And so we saw the nature of the Word. It's perfect, it's true, it's right. But now we see the work of the Lord in verses 7 through 9 and again in verse 11. The psalmist says, The law of the Lord is perfect. We saw that. That's the nature. But listen to the work, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Did you hear the work of the Word on our hearts? I love how Martin Luther has explained the work of the Word as he has stated, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. 
It has hands. It lays hold of me. And that's exactly what David is explaining here. The Word of God goes to work on us. And oh, don't we need the Word of God to go to work on us? I mean, each time it's read, it's proclaimed, it's preached and explained, it moves and it does work in our lives. You see, the good news is that the Word does not lie dormant in the life of a true child of God. While a physical copy of the Word might gain some dust as it sits on a shelf, the Word itself will never remain inactive in the believer's lives. It will continue to do its work. For as the author of Hebrew writes, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so like a master surgeon, the Word of God goes to work on our lives, revealing our hearts, revealing our lack of faith. And David explains this heart surgery work of the Word like this. He says, it revives the soul. Now the truth is, this phrase does not paint a pretty picture here. I mean, you don't revive someone that is in a healthy state, do you? No. This is an individual who is struggling to stay alive. He needs to be acted upon. And again, David has been in those situations. He's been in those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. But one commentator writes, one of the more common uses of this word revive is to describe not only a reviving, but a repentance and obedience to God and his word. The word not only revives, but it calls the faithful to repent and return and see. I, I think what David is saying here is that in the midst of those bad days from which our soul needs to be revived and, and restored, that we run to the word and that often reveals who we are. And so we in repentance and faith come back to God. We re, he revives our soul so that we might be in fellowship with him. The, the psalmist will say it again in Psalm 23 like this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores, revives my soul. This here is the soul that has been wounded and weary and needs reviving. They're in need of being brought back to that joyful fellowship with God. It's the idea that Paul conveys when he writes to the church in Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. And if we know anything about the church in Corinth, they were a messed up group of people. And they had bad, bad days. And they needed to repent. They needed this work of revival in their lives. And maintaining our joy in God takes work. It's a fight. It's a fight where we wield the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God against the adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion. And we know as we do that this word will work for us, that God will work through his word to revive our souls. Being trustworthy as it is, the word also makes the wise simple. Here's another work of the word. Once again, it's not simply academic wisdom that the psalmist describes here. Not that we can just get some knowledge in our heads here, but it's a heart knowledge that works itself out. This idea of simple here and making the simple wise is the idea of street smarts. In other words, 
There are some who are naive in their youth that don't have all the wisdom that it takes to to live in this world. And this word comes in and it gives them wisdom to make decisions that are in line with God's good and right paths. The word of God lays out the path of life. It leads us to embrace God's word and God's will for us by faith. It's no wonder then that the psalmist will continue on to say it's revived our souls, it provides wisdom for life, but also it rejoices the heart. Rightly understanding God's instructions, its guidance will then not be reviewed as restrictive or constrictive to our lives, but rather as enlarging our capacity for delight and joy in Him, freeing us to have full joy in Him. Like most other men I know, Manuals and instructions are usually optional for me. Any other guys like that in here? You don't have to raise your hand. Your wife will nudge you. I'm sure you're getting that right now. I mean, who really wants to read manuals and instructions, right? Especially on Christmas Day when you've just bought your children something and they're wondering how it works. I mean, you're not going to go, well, let me find out how it works. You already know, right, Dad? You know exactly how this thing works. And so the manual gets tossed into that bag that you have with all the paper that's there, and you don't need that. And so you go out and you're going to, I mean, how hard could it be to figure this thing out? This helicopter that's supposed to just hover when you speak to it and you say go right and left and it, it does that. I mean, how hard is that to figure out? Very difficult. Very difficult. If you don't know the instructions, if you don't know how the thing works, it's hard to have joy in this helicopter or your child to have joy in that. And I know maybe my man card is at jeopardy for saying that, but instructions and manuals are helpful in real life, but even more so here as we see God's Word. Precepts that are accurate, instructions that show us the path of life are very important, and God gives us this not to restrict us, but to enlarge our joy in Him. These precepts liberate us from our own foolishness and our own missteps to show us the good and right path. This is what God's Word does. This is its work. It revives. It makes wise. It creates enduring joy, and it enlightens our eyes. Because God's commands are radiant, they shine bright from, from our, or for our dim eyes. They're like a lamp. They reveal the stability or the instability of our footing. And they show us the path that we are to go in the way of God. I mean, what a gift of grace the Word of God is for us. Yet sadly, we far too often relegate our intake of the Word to just a short set of time here on Sunday mornings, don't we? Or maybe just a quick time throughout the week. Maybe we'll, we'll catch it on the radio at some point. Yet its work is so powerful and pervasive for our joy in Jesus. The Word works hard for our joy, but are you allowing it? Are we allowing it to do that work? Are we availing ourselves to the joy-propagating work of the Word as we open it, as we memorize it, as we study it, not only with our, or for ourselves, but with our families, with our children, showing them that this Word works? You see, those who employ the word in their life, not merely for more knowledge in the head, but for their all-satisfying joy in Jesus, will declare, as the psalmist does next here in verses 10 and 11, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. 
Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. We've seen the nature of the word, the, the work of the word, and here we see the effect the word has on our lives as it does that work. We've seen the, its nature. We've seen its work, and here's what it brings. It creates a desire for itself. It's that delightful. We go back to it. It's like fine gold, sweeter also than honey, drippings from the honeycomb. Some of you might remember a few years ago, there was that Lay's Potato Chips clever advertising campaign that said, bet you can't eat just one. And it's true, isn't it? You've ever tried that, right? You've opened up a bag of Lay's, and have you ever tried to just eat one? It's really, really difficult to not eat more. All of a sudden, you've eaten half the bag, and you're like, what just, what just happened here? I didn't even think I, I like these things. Bet you can't eat just one is the equivalent to what David is saying here in the psalm. The Word of God is so amazing. You can't just nibble at it and then walk away from it. It creates within you an insatiable craving for more and more and more. It's more to be desired than gold. Better than drippings of the honeycomb. In fact, David is so enthralled with the Word with hearing God's voice in the word, that in Psalm 119, he'll echo these same words in, that he's written here in Psalm 19. The law of your mouth, he says, is better to me than a thousands of gold and silver pieces. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to the mouth. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Now, maybe you've heard the words boring, tedious, as words that describe time in the Word of God. And David wouldn't understand that. I mean, how can this be boring? How can it be tedious to read God's Word? Another author, Sam Storms, notes, when the seed of the Word sends its roots deeply into our souls, the fruit it yields is sheer gladness, delight, and joy. Oh, that we would be a people that would be glad in the Word, filled with joy because we're feasting on the Word of God, not just here on Sunday mornings, but in our daily feasting of His perfect, sure, right, pure, and true words. His Word brings delight, but also notice the other effects listed here. Not only does it produce this delight, it, this delight is made evident in the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 9 again. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. David, in the middle of recounting the nature and the work of the Word, explains that the Word gives birth to a deep and abiding reverence for God, an awe that is clean or pure, and it endures forever. David has in mind here the fear of God that is the only correct response to God's voice. It's, it's not a, a fear where we're shying away but it's an awe and a reverence. It's the fear that God, uh, fear of God that Moses called the people of Israel to have there at the foot of Mount Sinai. It's a reverential fear that is sweet and it, and it draws us back to God. You see, friends, these words in front of us this morning are how in this age we look our Creator in the face to know and find joy in Him as He is. And it draws us to him. It's here in his word that we see his justice mingled with his mercy, his holiness fused with his humility as he comes to 
dwell with us. For as we think about the Word, we can't help but then run to John chapter 1, where John writes, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You see, this Word points us ultimately to the person of the Word in Jesus Christ. John continues, That Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness... We have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Oh, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but Jesus, he has made him known. And here's the good news. We see our creator in the face of Jesus through his word. He reveals himself to us each and every day as we open up his word. We, we know more about Jesus we know more about his grace upon grace. We see his truth and we stand amazed in his presence. The effect of the word is delight and fear. But notice also as we close this morning, look at verse 11. We also see that the word brings a warning and reward. The Word of God acts like this blaring siren in the midst of an eerie calm our culture tries to fabricate for us, saying everything's good. Listen to what we're saying. No, the Word of God warns us of that human cunning and craftiness. It's deceitful schemes. But friend, our, is our ear attuned to the Word to hear its warning? Are we opening the Word and, and hearing it so that the noise of the culture is drowned out by God's voice. For those who heed its warnings and keep its commandment, the psalmist said there is great reward. Now there's a, a great result to the adherence of God's instructions. But some of us might be duped by the charlatans of our days who are propagating this message of great wealth and health and prosperity. And yet, we know, as the psalmist writes, in the midst of horrible, terrible, very bad days. The promise is not just for health and wealth. That may come. But ultimately, the promise is to greater relationship and joy in God. So whether that we have money in the bank, whether we're here, healthy, or sick in a hospital bed, our joy is assured in Him. It's firmly rooted in God. You see, that is the point of this psalm this morning. The reward is God himself. As we feast upon this book, this word, we gain more knowledge. We experience his grace. And we know that at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I mean, what else could truly satisfy? Who else could revive the wounded and weary soul. It's not a bag of chips, not Netflix, not Fox News. No, only Jesus. When life is messy, when it's hard and grimy, when we have those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, where do we run? Do we run to the Word, to hear His voice? Where else could we run? His Word revives the weary soul. 
and creates an enduring joy in Him, in Him alone. And so, Father, would You make us a people who delight in Your Word like Your child David has explained here in Psalm 19. May we be a people who feast on Your Word not just one day a week, but daily. And may we continue to go back to it. May the parents that are here this morning use the word as they disciple and shepherd their children. As they walk in the way, may they point out the beauty of the creation and yet then point that back to the beauty of the creator who then speaks through his son the word that has become flesh to dwell among us. May those opportunities be opportunities for us to have gospel conversations with our children. May it be opportunities for us to root our families in the firm foundation, not of our word as parents, but of your word as a heavenly father. Maybe, may we do that with our coworkers and neighbors as well. When we're having these conversations, wherever we're at, may we speak your truth so that others might hear the truth, but also that they might taste and see that you are good. So, Father, as we reflect now on your word, may we even in this moment turn in repentance of faith, repenting of maybe where we have not gone to your word and we've gone to something else to find joy. May we repent where we've just allowed your word to be an aside to our life. We're more infatuated with something else. God, would you make us people of your word? May you make us a people who delight in your word because through your word you revive our souls. And we need revival. In your name, amen. We'll close this morning with a reading from Psalm 119, starting in verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put away false, put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commands when you enlarge my heart.